0: Welcome to the Olive Tree Church podcast channel. Whether you are listening in from our beloved Durban, South Africa or from further away, we trust you feel welcome and included in what God is doing in our community and that you feel
1: inspired by today's message.
2: Good morning. I uh, realized that I've had the best Father's Day ever. Uh, On Thursday, Livy Rose Roger was born, and I'm not a softie, like I'm not that dad, but this little girl, I don't know how, because babies when they come out, um, for those of you who haven't had them yet, they generally come out pretty ugly, but this girl came out pretty beautiful, and just wrapped me around her little finger. And I am utterly besotted. Babe, cover the other kid's ears if you, if you hear this, if, they, if they're around. But uh, it has just been so awesome being a dad. And I just want to say, I know it's Father's Day. It's not about you, moms. But I watched that birth thing happen. There's some stuff that physics uh, just can't really explain. And I just want to say, I mean, my wife said to me last night, she said, babe, you go sleep on the couch. Uh, which is a different reason for the reason some of you got asked to sleep on the couch. But she said, babe, you go sleep on the couch because I'm going to be waking up every 45 minutes and, uh, and you need to sleep because you're preaching tomorrow. And I just want to say to you, moms, every day should be Mother's Day. I've seen what you go through. You are incredible. Thank you, moms. But now it's about us again. So dads, as you, as you have this day, I hope you're super, super blessed. I hope you're spoiled. And uh, I, I was thinking about this last kind of 12 weeks and I was thinking about how much it's changed our lives, how much it's changed in my life. One of the things that's changed completely is how much I stand in front of cameras now, which is terrifying because after you've stood in front of the camera, you have to watch how you came across on the camera. And if any of you have ever uh, watched yourself doing something, like if you've watched yourself surfing, you get this romantic idea that if you get your girlfriend or your, your wife or your kid to, to film you surfing, you're going to be really excited about it afterwards, and then you watch yourself, you think you're like Kelly Slater, and you realise that you shouldn't even be surfing. It's a horrific experience. That's what happens when you're preaching. When you're preaching on camera, what, what happens is you see all the weird stuff you do, and it's, it's, it's awful, it's painful. And because I often get bored I listen to podcasts on like speed 2 sometimes speed 4 I often watch myself on on like speed 4 and when when I know what I'm going to say next. I watch it on Speed 16. And what I realised about how I preach is that I use my hands more than I use my mouth. I don't actually know why I don't just, I mean, I could sign language my way through the, through the sermon. My hands, as one of my friends says, uh, he, whenever someone's kind of like all over the show, he says, it's like an octopus on cocaine. That's kind of how my hands, they're, just, they're like eight to them. They just go the whole time. And I was watching that and this thought dropped into my mind. It was, imagine there was a camera in every single one of our homes. Imagine that there was like Big Brother in every one of our homes through lockdown five and level four and it filmed everything you did and then we got to all watch it together on speed 16 or 32. Imagine that would happen. Some of you are feeling nervous already. I wonder what areas of that video you'd want to edit out. I think some of you would have such short videos, we would have thought you had COVID and you'd gone to hospital. But you'd want to edit some stuff out. For some of you, you'd want to edit out how many times you went to the pantry. I know, I've seen some of you since lockdown. Uh, For some of you, you'd want to edit out how many times you shouted at your kids or shouted at your spouse. For some of you, you'd, you'd want edited out how many times you started an exercise routine and then you didn't finish it. You'd want to edit out how much Netflix you watched, how many weird things you did? You, you can just jot down in the comments, this I would edit out of my life. But here's what I know. Lockdown brought all the dysfunction to the surface. And I've got some friends, and they said to me, they said, Russ, lockdown has just been awesome. I want lockdown to never end. I just want you to know that you are dysfunctional. That is not normal. People are like puppies. We want to roll all over each other. We need contact. You don't need contact. You've got issues. But anyway, all of us, here's the big point, all of us have dysfunction. All of us are kind of quirky in some area of our lives. All of us are kind of weird somewhere. We have something that doesn't function the way it's supposed to. And all of us, maybe not over lockdown, but over the course of our lives, if we were to video it, all of us would want big chunks removed, which is why we need Grace. See, this series, there's grace for this. This series is about the unending, unfathomable, inexhaustible, doesn't ever stop grace that comes and washes over our dysfunction. It's the grace that overcomes our struggles. It's the grace that will meet you wherever, whenever, whatever you're facing. Whatever circumstances are coming at you, I want you to know there is grace for this. And there's more than you could ever imagine. In fact, if you tried to to empty God's grace, if you tried to grab it all, it would be more likely that you could empty the sea with a teaspoon than you could exhaust His grace. There is so much grace available for you, and it's available right now. And so this series is about how you access that grace. And today I am so excited because we're going to speak about the grace that cements you. It's kind of a pillar. The grace that cements you into right relationship with God. It's a grace that imprisons you to what's called righteousness, a right relationship with God. And to set you up for this, before I kind of preach on this, I've asked Luthor to share his testimony and you're gonna see him in a cathedral, so watch this.
0: We're in St. Paul's Cathedral in the middle of town and it's such a beautiful place. From the architecture to the stained glass and the memory of organs playing on a Sunday morning when we came to places like this. Um, Depending on who you are, this memory is different. For some, it's euphoric, and it reminds you of family, little kids running around and parents meeting together and having fat chats after church. For others, it's a place of refuge, but for others, not so much. For others, it's a place that reminds you of organized religion, rules that you found impossible to keep and just couldn't keep. As a young person, I grew up in a traditional church, went to traditional Christian schools, and this was my whole reality. Sometimes I was doing well, and sometimes I was absolutely failing. And when I was failing, I was moving away from church, not reading my Bible not praying because I didn't feel good enough. The cycle repeated itself throughout high school where I'd find myself giving my life to Jesus, failing and running away. One day I came to Olive Tree Church and this experience changed my life forever. I gave God one more chance and I said, God, I'm giving you my life. And I just pray that you do something differently this time because it's the last time I'm doing it. And it's as if God bargained with me and he heard me because he met me there. And He put people around me that taught me about His grace, about His sacrifice. And so for once in my life, I feel like I actually understood who Jesus was and why He had to die on the cross. You see, all those feelings of failure that would drive me away, all that condemnation wasn't meant for me. When I learned that Jesus had taken care of it and I was reminded of the song, Hallelujah, it is finished, I started to celebrate that. I started to celebrate that indeed He had died once and for all, completely and thoroughly, so that I didn't have to run away. I didn't have to feel disqualified every time I messed up. He had taken care of that. Now I could come to him in any condition, and when I couldn't remind myself of that, there were people who loved me enough to remind me of that reality. In one word, I would characterize it as grace. His grace was sufficient for me. It kept me going, and it kept me coming back to him when I was failing. And now I can stand on the other side of that and celebrate the person that I'm becoming because of his sacrifice for me.
2: I love Lutz's story. You can literally feel the freedom coming out of him. But I wanna now take that story and preach it from the Bible. So I'm gonna look in Romans 4, and you can follow with me. Therefore, the promise, the promise that he'd become heir of the world, it's to Abraham, comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to us too, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. We're gonna pause there because I think some people right now need God to cause things that are dead to come alive and call into being things that are not. And I literally right now, I pray, Jesus call into being things that are dead and make things that are not appear in people's lives and people's businesses and people's situations and people's health right now in Jesus' name. That's who God is. And then it goes on. It says, even when, this is where I want you to zone in. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Without weakening in his faith, faith, this is what's really important. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Abraham never waived in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises And there is grace for this. Here's what's special about Abraham. When a person can wake up every day, 365 days a year, for 25 years, and still believe God, Though he's gone through disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, he's woken up and he's gone, God promised it, it didn't happen. God promised it, it didn't happen. When a person can go through that again and again and again and still have faith, that's incredible. You see, I've um, gone on journeys with people who are barren, who can't have children. And the journey sucks because it's, it's not just a dream unfulfilled, it's a personal thing. It's a identity thing. It's a it's an aspect of your life that you go, what is wrong with me? Why why doesn't God give me what he gives everybody else? Everybody else has got grace but I don't have grace. It's personal. When you can't have children, it's personal. And what most people do in an area like that is that we put a magnifying glass on our barrenness, on our dysfunction, the area that doesn't function. And we, we look at it and we stare at it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it gets so big that we can't see the grace in other aspects of our lives. And it overwhelms us. And people looking in from the outside look at us and go, You've got such a great marriage. You've got such a great job. You've got such a good salary. You've got the house, the car. I would do anything to have your problems. But because we've got a magnifying glass on our barrenness, we experience a poverty of soul. And we get depressed. And we land ourselves in heartbreak. And we can't get up in the morning. Though there's grace... But the thing about Abraham is he doesn't do that. It doesn't even make sense. But he wakes up every morning and he grows in his faith. And I was thinking about this and I was going, how on earth did Abraham not waver in his faith? And not only that, but he grew in his faith. And I realized a couple of things. One, Abraham didn't put a magnifying glass on his pain. He took his pain to God, but when he takes his pain to God, he says, God, I recognise your grace on my wealth. I recognise your grace grace on my family. I recognise your grace on everything I touch. It turns to gold. But God, this area still hasn't come through. And the scripture says he grows in his faith. His faith becomes stronger. And so I was sitting and thinking about this and thought to myself, how does that happen? And I realized that he got the promise at 75, but he saw the promise happen at 100. And, and here's what I realized at 75, he could do something about his dysfunction. He could try to have babies at 75, but when he got to 100, there was nothing his body could do to make the promise happen. When he got to 100, He'd given up on himself and was completely reliant on God. And for some of us, grace can't break through because we haven't got to the end of ourselves and we are not completely reliant on God and the result is we're trying by our own means to make it work. And we, we can't access the faith we need because we're still putting pressure on ourselves to make it happen. And I don't want you to get to 100 before you see the breakthrough happen. Abraham gets this concept. And he doesn't just get it in this. He, he, just, he looks at all of life. And he, he says to himself, in every aspect of life, he says, Whether it's the economy because they face droughts, or it's the fact that he got attacked by kings. Kings came to attack Lot and himself, and he goes, No, no, there's grace in the economy, there's grace to protect me, there's grace in every area of my life, there's grace where I'm dysfunctional. And this I wanna to minister to you. And If you are dysfunctional, if there's an area of your life that is in a sin habit, habit you're in a, a situation where you just can't break through, I want you to know the grace of God is big enough to meet you there, but you have to keep on believing. Abraham keeps on believing. He keeps on believing for 25 years what I realized about God's grace is that often it's God's greatest grace to not give us the thing that we're asking him for, even though he put it into our heart to desire it. He put it into Abraham's heart to desire children. It was a good thing. And God then holds out. And when you look at scripture, you realize that we don't remember Abraham for any other aspect of grace in his life. We don't remember him for his wealth. We don't remember him for how well everything else worked around. We remember him for his faith because God broke through with the greatest amount of, of grace where there was the greatest amount of barrenness and dysfunction. And for some of you, there's an area of barrenness and dysfunction and God's going, I've got more grace than in any area of your life, you just keep believing me. Because here's what happens when there's an area of barrenness and dysfunction in our lives. In every other area where we get it right, where God's grace just bursts through, we don't need to pray. But when you're barren, man, you learn to pray. You don't need to be taught how to pray. When you're barren, you wake up and you come to 9am live. You are there. And by the way, thank you for those people who share at 9am live. When you share those, your, the video you're watching, when you share these sermons, i bumped into people. I've, in fact, I've bumped into a few people who said, hi, Ross, you're that pastor, hey? And I go, yeah, yeah, how do you know me? Do you come to Olive Tree? And they say, no, but since lockdown, we've been watching you every Sunday. So keep sharing. But back to the point. When you experience barrenness in your life, when you experience dysfunction, Again and again and again, you learn to cry out to God. It doesn't become a religious experience. It's not something I need to do. You come begging God and you find you sing so loudly that the neighbour wonders if you're okay. You, you cry out. It becomes real to you, this relationship. And in that moment, you actually experience God's greatest grace. Because God's greatest grace isn't the stuff He gives you. It's the person He gives you. In the times of our barrenness, we build enough relationship with God that our faith can do nothing but keep growing. And when it grows large enough, it collides with His grace. And that's when something is birthed. But this whole experience gives rise to one of the biggest verses in Scripture, one of the most important concepts in all of the Bible, and it says this, it says and because of Abraham's faith God counted him as righteous because of Abraham's faith God counted him as righteous this scripture it it comes up six times in the New Testament there are 20 times in the New Testament that it speaks about faith and righteousness there are only four times in the New Testament that it speaks about faith and salvation this is a big deal to God faith and righteousness you know the reason righteousness is so important is you can't have a relationship with a holy God if you're not righteous. Righteousness is the state or the condition you need to be in to be around a holy God and not die. The only way we can come to God is if we're righteous. And the Bible speaks about only two ways of being righteous. You can be self-righteous, which means that you do everything right every day, you never make a mistake and you are righteous before God, or you can be given the gift of righteousness. What Abraham gets, the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness is given only by faith. In fact, faith is the thing God values. It's the currency of heaven. South Africa has the rand. It's a, it's a depreciating Currency, its value is dropping. The US has the dollar. It's an increasing currency. Its its value is increasing. But heaven has the currency of faith. It's the thing God looks for. And when He sees it, He goes, You are right with me because you believe. Now, I'll tell you why this is such a big idea. And some of you have heard this, but it's still a big idea. The reason it's such a big idea is because it's counterintuitive to us. You see, in my relationships with people, I don't care what you believe. I judge you by what you do. If you keep hurting me, I judge your actions, not your heart. I judge what I see, not what you're thinking. And if you keep doing wrong, I will keep pushing you away. And if you keep doing right, I will keep pulling you towards myself. But God does not look at you like we look at people. God looks at the heart and he looks at what we believe about him, not what we do about it. And so God knows that we're going to struggle with this concept. So he starts to put into place little examples to help us get our heads to the place of understanding that he makes us right by faith. And so in the Old Testament, you see God... He gives the example of blood on the doorpost. And the blood, it's a sacrifice, the blood covers over people so that when the angel of death flies over, the angel can't see through the blood to judge the person. God can't look through the blood of the lamb to see your sin. And so he passes over. And then God gives us another example. It's the example of the sacrifice. So what would happen is that during lockdown, you would sin a whole lot and then you would come to the priest with an animal and you would say, during lockdown, I ate all the cookies all the time. I stole from my wife. I told everybody that I was working, but I was actually playing solitaire and I sinned obsessively. And then you would say, so I understand that the punishment of sin is death, so I'm bringing a sacrifice. And you know what the priest would do? He'd look at the sacrifice he wouldn't look at you, he knows you're a sinner. He'd look at the sacrifice and he would inspect the sacrifice and if he found the sacrifice to be right, he would say, you are right with God. And so God wants us to get the concept that you're not made right because you do everything right because you can't do everything right. He wants you to get the revelation that you made right because the Father inspects the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world so that you can be made right. I wanna show you how this plays out in real life, and Nat is gonna give her testimony. Watch this.
1: Hi, my name is Nat, and I'm sitting in a pub. I'm gonna share my story with you. Um, But I'd like to start giving you a moment just to register how you feel about seeing me sitting in a pub. The reason I'm in a pub is appropriate to my story um, because basically for a lot of my late teens and early 20s, um, really I spent most of my time, in fact my whole, everything that was exciting to me was about being out in pubs and clubs and having fun. And um, my friends and I would often do what was called a golden week which was literally going out Monday to Sunday. Um, You can imagine how destructive and disastrous that was. Um, But the reality is that I was in this cycle that was so painful and destructive, and it kind of went excitement, going out, getting a bit inebriated, making mistakes, dealing with a whole lot of regret, remorse, and then self-loathing, and then repeating it. And the reason I got there was because of a number of um, painful things that had happened and my own immaturity and foolishness but more than that I came to realize later that it was because I was longing for a connection Um, and so was tricked into thinking somehow that I could find the longing fulfilled in this kind of lifestyle and um, just obviously was looking in all the wrong places and so When I was 24, I actually found the answer to that connection I'd been longing for. On an Alpha weekend, in a moment of surrender to Jesus, I encountered this love, this thing that I realised I'd been longing for and searching for throughout those destructive years. And I knew in that moment that nothing would ever be the same again. I had encountered the real and true thing that I'd been looking for. Sadly, I got kind of sucked into a really poor set of beliefs within my faith and would say that I I stumbled into what is known as legalism. And what legalism really is, and I really want you to hear me because I think some of you may live in this camp. Legalism is where the gospel gets twisted to make you think that it's actually you that is responsible for your connection to God and your ability to be connected to God through being righteous when actually it is simply Jesus that allows us to be righteous and belief in Him. And so what happened is that I found myself in this place of legalism, of um, incorrect belief, and lived a number of years, as I'm gonna to describe to you now, um, just striving to be perfect, uh, striving to behave in all the right ways that would allow me to feel connected again to my Father in Heaven. And, um, This led to um, a really horrible number of years, actually. If you had encountered me at the time, you would not have felt the fruit of the Spirit, which are known as love and joy and peace and kindness and self-control. You would have come across um, my fruit, my own self-righteous fruit, which were bitterness and control and harshness, judgment. It was just horrible. And I, I think I camped there about 90% of the time. And then when that effort to feel connected and that effort to, to feel perfect enough to feel like God loved me wore out, I would like kind of spectacularly fall back into my old cycles and patterns of, of trying to feel connected again. And so it was for a number of years and it was disastrous and exhausting and horrible. And then one day, um, I came across the truth of the Gospel again, the understanding of grace, which is that when God looks at me, He's not looking at my own effort or my own kind of self-sacrifice to be good enough, but He's looking at Jesus. And it's the realisation that when we come into faith, it's just simply believing in Jesus and believing that what He did was enough. And that when God looks at us, He's seeing us tucked into and under Jesus, our Saviour. And when I got that reality, um, suddenly I found myself free. I found myself fully aware of the fact that nothing I could ever do would draw me closer to to God. That Jesus had done it all and it was enough. And He had done it for all my sin, past, present, and future, and He had done it before the foundations of the world. And some people get really worried about this, that it might lead us into sin or lead us into our old patterns and kind of have us going, well, if God only looks at Jesus, I can kind of do what I want. But the reality is that doesn't happen at all. In fact, I found myself no longer struggling. Um, There was no longer this kind of pull because we can become in our own effort, kind of hyper-focused on the very things that God has freed us from in His Son, Jesus. And so I sit here today And I'm amazed at the freedom I have to be in such a place. Um, The freedom to to do things and be in places that used to cause me to be terrified that I would slip back into old patterns. Um, And it's through none of my own efforts and it is completely through the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us. And so if you find yourself there and, and even hearing my story and still struggling a bit, Maybe you could relate to it this way because this really is a family story. It's, it's a story of a father drawing his children back into himself. You know, when I've sometimes had moments of struggle with this, as a mom, I've realized how awful would it be if I ever felt that my kids had to do anything to earn my complete love, um, if they had to behave a certain way to earn my love. And this really, faith is a family deal. We are God's kids. And He did this for us knowing every single mess up we'd ever make um, before now and, and coming and, and just longs for us to know his love and to know that we cannot be separated from his love because we have simply believed in his son Jesus and in what Jesus did for us. And so I don't know where you're at in this spectrum but I think it is staggering to me that I can sit in a place like this today with absolute freedom Um, because of nothing I've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. And that is the absolute gift of grace.
2: You can feel when someone gets righteousness, the way Nats gets righteousness, the way Lutz gets righteousness. You can literally feel people who are free because of grace given to those who believe. But I've kind of asked myself through the years, how come some people get this righteousness message and others, because most people who've been Christians for a while, they'll tell you they've heard the righteousness message. They've heard that they're righteous by faith, that grace comes as a result of that, but they don't have the same freedom. I've, I've kind of puzzled about this. How come some people get this? How come some people live in the righteousness and grace of God and there's freedom and love and they experience it and you can feel it off them and others They've heard this message again and again. They haven't changed. And as I was praying about it, I kind of felt it was either God or me, but I felt the sense that our brains are trained. The way we think it's trained. The way our brains work is we have neural pathways. And what happens is we're experience-based. So if I do something and I experience a certain outcome that produces a certain feeling, and and that happens again and again, it becomes what's called a neural pathway. And if that happens over and over and over and over again, that pathway starts to become a freeway. So let me give you an example. If I go into class in grade five, and uh, I walk into class, and there are a bunch of cool kids, and they absolutely ignore me on day one, I will have an experience of being rejected and a feeling rejection. And if that happens on day two, that now is a neural pathway and it starts to become something I expect. And if it happens on day three and day four and day five and it happens all the way through the year, it becomes like the M13. It becomes this pathway that is programmed into my brain. But then imagine I go into grade six and when I get into grade six, I discover that I'm unbelievably talented at some sport and for some reason, I just become one of the cool kids. And then I walk into class, and on that day that I walk into class, everybody accepts me, everybody's thrilled to see me. It's not like I greet them, they greet me, and everything shifts. And imagine that happens on day one, and day two, and day three, and day four, and day five, and it happens all of grade six, and then imagine it happens all of grade seven, and it happens all of grade eight. What begins to happen is that neural pathway doesn't just become the M13, it becomes the M2. And as that experience gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced, I become so programmed to expect approval and acceptance that the M13 starts to get eroded. And it starts, you start to get trees growing in it. And it goes from being a tar road to a dirt road to a path. And then one day... I walk into a boardroom, and nobody knows me, and they're all these cool kids, and they reject me. And I have a vague recollection I can hardly remember it of grade five. But my predominant memory is an end-to memory of people accepting me and of approval towards me. It's how the brain works, and for so many people, because the way the world works is I'm only accepted when I do right that has translated into our relationship with God. And we've got an M13 of do right, get right that is so so programmed into our mind that when we mess up with God, we experience the same feelings we have when we mess up with other people. It's the experience of disappointment. It's the M13. And if you want this message to change your life, you don't just need to say it to yourself once, you need to get into your dysfunction. And when you are being dysfunctional, when you are lying about playing solitaire, Whilst you're supposed to be working, when when you're saying I'm working, you're playing solitaire, you need to declare over yourself, though it doesn't make sense in your brain, I am righteous because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I am doing. My righteousness comes from Christ. You need to start an end to in your life that overwhelms you and you need to speak it out. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And you need to say it again and again until you experience what righteous people experience which is the love and the power and the freedom and the grace and the acceptance and the empowerment of grace. See, here's my promise to you. You will not work out your dysfunction because you tried harder. But if you will push into, I'm made righteous by Jesus, That when God looks at me, he doesn't look at what I just did. He looks at what Jesus did on the cross. That when God relates to me, he's not actually seeing my sin because I'm covered in the blood and God can't see through the blood. If that's your reality and you keep speaking that and you ask God to speak that into your spirit and it becomes the thing you say of yourself again and again, what you'll begin to realize is that I am accessing the bigness of God's grace by faith and your life will change. And for some of you right now, God wants to change your life. But you have to give up on self-righteousness. You have to give up on trying to clean up your mess so that you can get to God. Because when you're self-righteous, that's rooted in pride and pride is resisted by God. And some of you right now are experiencing the resistance of God instead of the embellishing love of God. And I wanna say to you, give up on self and grab hold of Jesus and let him change your life. And if you're not a Christian, could be this message is kind of like, how on earth does that work? I want to say this to you. There was a day that I walked into a church, and God gave me a window into His grace. And that window, it grabbed my heart in a way I couldn't describe. And the only thing that could result is faith, and I believe for some of you right now, God's grace is going to burst into your lounge, into your living room. It's going to burst in and grab hold of your heart if you just open it a little. And if that happens, you want to pray this prayer, Jesus, come into my life to be my salvation. And God will change you. And if you're a Christian, today might be the day that you repent. You repent for trying to fix yourself. And you go... God, I'm not going to trust in me anymore. I'm going to trust in you to change my life. So I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask right now that something of your spirit speaks to people's spirits and literally we begin to see people set free by your grace. And Father, if they're living in a a state of barrenness and dysfunction, I ask God that you burst through and you show them that even here there is grace. In fact, like Abraham, this might be the area that most grace burst forth. And I ask, Lord, of everybody who watches this, that you reach in and you grab hearts and you break through with the gospel in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.